It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. How long was Neil Armstrong actually on the moon? When did Europe start speaking English? Did Marco Polo really go to China? CuriosityStream is the streaming service for all things history, plus science, wildlife, and more. What's the real story behind the Mona Lisa? We've got that. What caused the collapse of Rome? We know. Where did we find mankind's earliest ancestor? Come find out. For the holidays, give the gift of curiosity with 25% off gift cards for your curious cohorts. It's holiday shopping season at curiositystream.com gift. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Hello, it's me, Luke, and I occasionally run the site, thecustardtv.com, and I even less occasionally appear on its main podcast, the Custard TV podcast. However, tell me you want to launch a new podcast, and I'm here like a shot, you know, as long as I'm interested in it and the time works and the shows are interesting. I'm quite amenable like that. <laughs> and you've got the white M&Ms in your dressing room. And yes, all, everything. All have to be white. And yes, and uh, the water bottles. Champagne on chills. ice. Yeah. yeah, water at room temperature. Do you know what's weird, actually? I, I didn't tell you this. I want my champagne on ice on ice. I want it on top of another bed of ice just for that extra coolness. Even though you don't drink, you just like to look at the champagne. Well, no, I like to touch it occasionally and go, oh, my finger's hot and also cold. I like that feeling. And joining me, speaking of something cool, is Matt Donnelly, always up for a podcast, no matter what the subject. Hello! Normally because it's my idea as well, and I have to get people always to talk to me. Always because it's your idea. This is, so, this is the only way people will talk to me now, is via the medium of podcasts. Yes, and that should always remain the case. This one, though, we are tentatively calling TV Time Machine, and we're going back 25 years to talk about what was on this sort of random time in 1998. We are looking at between the 1st and the 14th of September 1998. All these shows aired in that time frame, apart from one that we sort of... Playing a little fast and loose with. Yeah. What we gonna do right here is go back. Way back. Way back. Back into time. Way back. Way back. Way back. I've been searching my soul tonight. I know there's so much more to life. Back into time. Half the world. I wondered where Matt Donnelly was in September 1998. I would have been starting year 11, I think, at school, as would you have been, I think. Yes, not the yeah. same school, very important not to say. Not the same school. So that's about it, really. My, my question is, when did you go to the States? Was it the next year? 
it was February '99, but we were already getting sort of the wheels in motion. And I moved. Right. I moved schools in preparation of going there. God knows why. What? So you went to America and then had to come back at the weekends? <laughs> no, hell of a commute. It's a hell of a commute. What were you into at this point? Well, you weren't into telly. I wasn't particularly into telly at this point. Well, I was. What I watched most of these shows. I think that we're going to talk about, apart from one. Yeah, I was pretty much into telly without obviously have, watching it with a critical eye like we like I do now. I did amateur dramatics. I was in the school show. This would have been the year where we were rehearsing for Little Shop of Horrors, where I played the lead. So that, that's quite oh, exciting. I was worried you were going to say the Monica Lewinsky scandal. This comes no, up quite no, often no. in one of the shows. Like no, the school we, we, production we were, of we it. We weren't that progressive as school. We had to fight for them to let us put on Greece. So that's sort of the level of uh, school that I went. You know, it was, it was a Catholic yeah. school. It had yes. been Christian Brothers run until, basically until I started high school. I was just thinking about this time because I know I talked about watching South Park for the first time, which would have been... Early, earlier in 1998, yeah. uh, Channel 4 aired it, I want to say in the July, and I talked about obviously that July had gone on the French Exchange, if you remember that story. Oh, yes! If not, uh, go back to our Desert Island Comedies, where Luke also talks about the royal family. Uh, that's, I suppose, where I was. I haven't got any sort of more anecdotes as far as I can remember no, the start of me school. me neither. It was just school and getting but you're, back to so school. You're, when you said you moved schools, what do you mean? So you moved schools and then you started no, in... When we knew I was going to, I was yeah. really... Un- if you want to get into the therapy of it yeah. all, okay. I was really... Okay. I was really unhappy at one school when we knew we were probably moving to the States and it was going to be a short time. I changed schools just for a bit of a fresh start, and then obviously we moved to America. Music was my thing in 98. I think 98 was one of my favourite years in terms of, I remember we had a great summer. There was a football tournament on that I'm never really involved in, but my neighbours next door were really into, and they involved me in that, and I remember it was the summer of Vindaloo and the Three Lions re-release and Share, Believe, and all that, and the beautiful South Perfect Ten, all those songs that were really popular on the radio is what takes me back mm. to 98. And I was thinking, actually, you saying you, you'd seen all the shows. I remember knowing that, like, the Royal Family and Ali McBeal were popular. And I was trying to think, well, how did I know they were popular? What was my mm. sense of popularity now? Because, of course, now everyone's talking about it online, and if they're not, it's not popular. We mm. didn't have that sort of... So how did we gauge what was in the public were you allowed much leeway in terms of watching tv on your own or you know yeah. was it all watching it with the family did you have like a tv to yourself you know were yeah, you allowed no i didn't to... have a tv to myself no and i didn't particularly want one with the royal family would you have been allowed to stay up and watch yes. that on yeah. your own it's more probably then i wouldn't have known when it was on Mm. And if you weren't in front of that old thing, of if you weren't in front of it at the time, you missed it, and then that was it. I think I was quite into reading, like, the guides and stuff like that. Yeah, I hadn't sort of done that, really. Being aware of sort of who people were. I was given quite a lot of leeway to watch probably a lot of comedy that I shouldn't have watched when I was young. You know, I watched sort of The Fast Show, Harry Enfield, Shooting Stars, Father Ted, yeah. all of that, you know, probably quite a lot before I should have done. So I was quite aware of like who Carolina Hearn was because yeah. the fast show. 
and Mrs. Merton, obviously, as well. Mm. With Ali McBeal, I think I watched it. I was aware of it, but I watched the first season sort of in repeats before the second season had been mm. on. But my parents as well were quite into TV as well. You yeah, know, that helps. Watching with me. And so, you know, I think they would have, I want to say it was the Telegraph, maybe. So they would have the guide in that and I would read that through. And so I think but that it, was... It is weird how we gauge. Because I never, mm. when when Friends came over, I was a really, I didn't watch Friends until I was in the States. But I mm. remember being aware of it being a cultural thing. Mm. But I don't quite know how this I is... knew. Did you like have yeah. conversations about what was on? Because sometimes yes. that would sort of be the litmus test. I know that I became aware of friends through someone at school, and then mm. we, as a family, rented the videos, yeah. and then obviously caught up with it in terms of whatever s- series it was on yeah. on Channel Four. So it's different ways, really. You sort of gauge it through your friendship groups, through your family, and yeah. through bits of media and people talking about it on say a, another thing uh, like the big breakfast they would yeah, often talk yeah, about but they'd have the stars on, on. It, yeah I, it's not in this time period yet but i urge you if you have the inclination to seek out the sopranos on the big breakfast it's one of my favorite things i've ever seen where they are completely bemused by the big breakfast i love it so much it's so funny to see James Gandolfini and Edie Falco with Zig and Zag and Chris Evans and it's just so but I suppose that is true I suppose I used to see that in the morning and you'd see they'd be talking about things when you say you're into your music what sort of stuff do you remember it was mainly the popular it was main I wanted to go into commercial radio or, or something like that so it was mainly the chart stuff the popular stuff I was just fascinated to how radio worked and it was a time where that you'd hear stuff on the radio weeks and weeks before you could buy it and then it'd be like i need to buy this record it's so cool or i need to have the latest so would you buy cd singles i went through a period and then i just thought i'm wasting my hard-earned money (laughs) i'm wasting my hard-earned pocket money i've been given on a single that's got lifted on one side and nothing i care about on the other side but i remember being really into tv at christmas like, I was mm. really aware of what was on at Christmas. The last time I was in England for Christmas, the, there was the um, Men Behaving Badly trip. This Christmas that we might this talk Christmas, about if we yeah. continue this on, if yeah. people like this. Yeah, and I think we would always get the Christmas Radio Times, I think, even then. I don't know if we were buying Radio Times weekly. My grandparents used to buy the Radio Times, so I would read it when I was there. But, you know, it, it's a combination of things, I suppose. As you say, bef- before... The internet was sort of a thing, you know, it was around at this time, but not many people had it at home, I suppose. And even if we did, we weren't sure what we could do with it. I remember we had it to fill in a load of forms about going to America, but we only used it for that and we didn't know what else it was for. Mm. I've pulled up a few bits of news from wikipedia.com from the UK TV in 1998 uh, section from what was going on around this time now this is an interesting one i'd never heard of uh, before but it was something that was on wikipedia they were gonna do a cutting edge documentary channel four and it was called daddy's girl it was telling the story of an aspiring model victoria and her father marcus who spoke candidly of his feelings about his daughter's career but it was pulled the day before 
when it was revealed uh, that Victorian and Stuart were actually lovers. And it was Victoria's father who actually complained when he saw the trailer that, no, that's not me. This is another thing you're saying about me having leeway. I don't know how it happened. I can't explain it. But I remember watching Jerry Springer at this time as well. Oh, I did. Uh, but I'm thinking, well, how was that exposed to us? It's weird, isn't it? But that was on, like, throughout the day. That was a daytime thing, wasn't it? It wasn't no, a... I remember watching it at night. That's the weird thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so her dad, Jeff, was furious and put the hands in the case of his solicitor. So the documentary was um, supposed to be about three father-daughter relationships that were odd, basically, like that. But they duped the documentary makers and it meant wow. that the follow-up, Mummy's Boy, the following week, was not <laughs> either. Then, doing my research on this... They ended up doing a documentary about Stuart, frauding them to the documentary and telling his story. Wow. Interesting there. Scylla Black had a new game show in this fortnight called Moment of Truth on ITV. The concept of this was basically that you had to form like a task. And if you did it, each member of your family would get a big prize, like a car or a holiday Scylla had like a big book that she called her dream directory. So the first one is this guy trying to construct a house of cards in a certain amount of time. The whole family are in the studio, like the kids who they've said, like, you can win an N64, you can win a doll's house, you can win like a bike. And the first guy does it and, you know, you get the whole celebration, blah, 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 blah. And then the second one is mum of a different family trying to pop certain balls into a pool table in a certain order. They've promised the kids various things and she doesn't do it. <laughs> and you've just got these heartbroken kids. It was, it was criticised for, like, children being visibly distressed when their family loses. Scylla admits she was not emotionally prepared for the reaction of losing contestants. And then from the second series, there were larger consolation prizes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for the kids one of them got a pair of football boots instead of i can't can't remember a what trip he was to the to football get. stadium yeah it was something yeah. like that one of those shows that's sort of a bit lost to time perhaps another story i like here so on on the sunday before royal family came out so this was sunday the 13th of september there was a head-to-head -head between eastenders and coronation street right. eastenders put on a special sunday night episode they worked out that eastenders had beaten Coronation Street, not through viewing figures, but through the National Grid. Often the National Grid was the teller. Yeah. If everyone put their kettles on at five yeah. past eight or something, they knew that people had been gripped by EastEnders and couldn't get up to make a cup of tea. So there was a 900 megawatt surge of power at the end of the special edition of EastEnders as millions of viewers went to put the kettle on, on an increase of a third of its usual figure. But ITV's new game show beat both the soaps, and that being Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, which we are also be talking about. With a power surge of 1,700 megawatts. There you go, Luke. What we're going to do right here is go back. Way back. Back in time. 
first time on UK TV, we have a top prize available of £1 million, and it could be won here tonight. No tricks, no traps. Contestants will leave the studio tonight with big cash prizes, and if they have the skill and nerve, someone could leave here a millionaire. Uh, who wants to be a millionaire? It debuted on a Friday. The 4th, I want to say. And it, it went Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then the whole of the following week finishing the following Sunday. There was 10 episodes. Do you remember it? So what your reactions were and things like that? Because I think I sort of remember, but I don't... You know, I remember us talking about it and watching it. I think it was on different times each night. You know, sometimes it was on at 8, yeah. sometimes at 9. So, But I think we, we like the nation, most of the nation... I think the peak was the Sunday episode, which got 12.37 million people watching mm. it. It came out of the box pretty much fully formed, and mm. I found myself invested again, even though I knew there wasn't going to be a millionaire in that first episode. I think why it works, the audience in the studio is just as gripped and wanting mm. the contestant in the seat to do well. Their reactions every time someone reaches what, I'd argue even now, some life-changing forms of money isn't jealousy or you know anything it's just yeah i can't believe you did that well done we're all behind mm. you but i was struck by how fully formed out of the box it was the music was all there there's brilliant tension in that music i didn't like tarrant as a host and it might just be watching it through different eyes mm. i just found him a little bit cringy a little bit smarmy which i think is his brand i felt like the audience was on the side of the contestant, but I felt like sometimes he was sort of mocking them a little bit. Do you reckon that was sort of the style of the time, if you think about I wonder like, the big presenters? Chris Evans, Noel Edmonds going back a few years, perhaps. Yeah. He was a radio presenter. I think this was sort of his style. I think one of the guys who'd come up with the concept had worked with him radio quiz as well, so that's sort of why he'd got the gig. But we did start here, Luke, with a Monica Lewinsky gig. I know, it was a joke. Monica Lewinsky just gag, to start. Yeah. Everybody wants some extra cash. Apparently, Monica Lewinsky is now asking for several million dollars to write her kiss and tell story. Let's just hope it's not a pop-up book. Now, as I've <laughs> said... And then later on, he said, every contestant had been given a little teaser, and then he went yeah. back to Monica again. But, yeah, as far as the show, it could have been part of any of the runs it feels like an episode of who wants to be a millionaire mm. and it doesn't take long to find its feet i think it works because the rules are so easy to follow the jeopardy's there you want the people to succeed everything is the show so it's quite remarkable the really the first guy we got though was this guy called graham i don't think there was a lot of tension there was it as it went on they may have found people who would have been given quite a lot more excitement. He was I'm quite going to go calm. I'm going to, go, I'm going to answer it. I'm going yeah. to answer it. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't he leave without using all the lifelines? Yes. As well? And mm. I love the fact that the, the phone of friends he explained, I know you're not near a television, but your friend so-and-so has got this far. It just surprised me how, when we say things take time to find their feet, this was the show we know right from the off, and mm. that's a real credit to it. The first guy, though, I think you can tell it's like a new thing because... Later on, you know, you know the tactics. You sort of know you've got to play all these three lifelines. You may as well play them all. As you say, he was quite calm and he went... Was it 64 he went 64. away with in the end? As it happened, 
for a first game of your first show to show that you could win big money, that mm. was a huge amount of money then when Silla was just giving away bikes and trips to yeah. this and that. 64000 was massive. Yeah, and that was, I think, to show you that you could get up quite far and... I think he got to the 125 question, didn't he, but didn't play it. Whereas it, and, it started with the girl that followed. She didn't yeah. do so well. It's, um, it's just the luck of the draw that mm. they got somebody who was quite good at playing the game from the and off, I, and that probably and set the standard. You were more invested in her, Rachel DaCosta, because yeah. she had more of a story behind her. She wanted to get married, her and her partner had a business. She, they didn't yeah. really go into what the business was, but... They like lost some money in the business. They're Obviously, all right yeah. now because they own Costa, the um, big coffee place. So they're fine yeah. now. So it worked out better for her than probably the guy at the start. Was that an ad lib, Luke? <laughs> yeah, ad lib. I haven't did that. I didn't write down. that one for you. No, I didn't write that one down. It was just already ad libbed here and live. Um, they kept the camera on the fiance quite a lot of the time. Yeah. And her question, it was counties that bordered other counties or something like yeah. that and then they did the what would have your answer been had you I know. and apparently because we watch these on youtube there is some real sort of quiz show obsessives because oh, someone yeah. had written underneath I'm speaking like, to one <laughs> someone had written underneath the, the third the third contestant we'll get onto in a minute tarrant was quite relieved when she was quite calm when she left because apparently there was quite a lot of tension with rachel Allegedly, that was like, I think she was a bit annoyed that she knew the answer, that they made her answer the question anyway. I'm not sure. But again, that's because it's a new format and you're not quite au fait with it. Now, the third person, Luke, who came on. Yeah. Arlene Foster, was it? Yeah. How do we know this game, Luke? She's in the royal family. And I was like, I can't believe it. I always wondered where it came. And it actually came quite early in the run then. That's mm. where they got the footage from. In the show, in the royal family, they were all doing, like, imitating the music mm. and saying to play the 50-50 and to phone a friend. And mm. I, I could recite that script now. D, green. I green. She keeps licking her lipstick off every time she doesn't yeah. know an answer. They must have known we want to do who wants to be really yeah. and they must have poured through all of the contestants that have been on to sort of do the gags against each question as well. Yeah. As you said, the, the duckers. Hardest substance known to man. Uh, horses arse, horses arse. The lighthouse family and the question she went out on, the... I've never even had ethanol. I've never even drunk ethanol. That shows yeah. you how quickly it must have become a cultural thing. I remember going to America and it being a massive hit, and then I remember after a while feeling a bit of fatigue, and I wonder how soon that crept in for you over here. I don't know, because as you say, I'm a big quiz show fan, so... Yeah, wrong person um... answer. Wrong person answer this. <laughs> Sorry, Bradley. <laughs> so I've done Tarrant and Bradley so far. Great start for a new podcast. Sorry, wrong person answer. Uh, <laughs> it was revolutionary. They Tarrant was bigging up at the, the biggest, you know, the biggest amount ever given away on on TV quiz show history. One thing that got me is that there was like a million pounds in the case, but he gives them a check. I know, I know, but I just suppose. Somebody's got to unlock the case. He's got to count it out. Then it, no, it's easier to give him a check. I wonder if it. when Judith Keppel won it, whether she got the case at the end or they. It was a big phenomenon at the time, yeah. I think. Massive. Anyone could be on the show as well. All you had to yeah. do was bring the number. That was another thing. Whereas 
you know, a lot of game shows you would have to send off for an app, especially pre-internet, send off for an application form yeah. and, you know, get it all written. Whereas this is you ring up, you answer one question, you could be on the telly the next day. I don't know if you saw it, but the first person, we were watching it, the first person to win a million in the States, and obviously you don't know when you're watching it, that the yeah. first per- and he hadn't used any of his lifelines, and on the yeah. last question for a million, he used his lifeline, and he's really cool and calm. I think he rings his dad and he says, uh, Hi, Dad. Hi. Um, I don't really need your help, but I just wanted to let you know that I'm going to win the million dollars. <laughs> my favorite tv moments so brilliant and it actually took years didn't it for for judith to be the first winner 2000 or 2001 um... so it's interesting it's been nearly four years and people hadn't lost their appetite for somebody somewhere could be the first millionaire the format just works because it's simple it's fun there's a feeling with all the best quiz shows that Oh, we think we know the answers to this, that, and we could probably 2000, get it. 2000, I think it was. Okay, so, two, so, so not almost so. two years into its run, November 2000. The success of the Clarkson run mm. proves how great that format is and mm. how ingrained it is in our... We sort of know it. And even if you're not planning to watch it, if you turn it on and they're at a pivotal moment and it's got an interesting question, yeah. you'll keep watching it. It really... I always felt like it lost something, the format lost something, where you'd gone a long way with somebody, they'd lost, and then you had to start again with a new person at the mm. really simple questions. But that was just the way it had to I be. Think... There was no way around it. Well, in America, as is America's way, they did it to... De- I mean, they absolutely did it to death, to the point where it was so big at one point that it was all, It was on ABC over there. Is there anything ABC would show at a time? They'd move comedies and dramas and put that on instead and I lost interest in it and probably hadn't felt compelled to see it again until Clarkson did it because I saw that people were into it again and again it's not something I would choose to watch I'm not sitting there recording it or waiting but as I say it does that format does still work because if you watch it and they're at a pivotal point you switch it on you will be there to the very end. Hey remember the two wedding cakes? Oh yeah. Hey I'll be able to get you a discount. Oh how much will one cost? About £200. How many tears is that? There'll be plenty of bloody tears if it's £200. Is his dad paying out towards his wedding lark or what? I've told you dad he's on a disability allowance. So he's paying bugger all and he'll get a better parking space. I actually saw the second episode of the first series first. I saw it on BBC America in 2000. I hadn't heard really anybody talking about it in the UK before I left. And it was just happened to be on BBC America and I watched it and was like, I need to see more of this immediately. And, and got as much of it as I could and mainlined it to the point where I can recite massive chunks of it even now. And again, it is an example of a show comes out of the box fully formed like that could have been the first episode or the fifth episode Mm. or the first episode of any series did it sort of make you nostalgic or homesick or you know remind you of britain was that that was a massive thing that was the huge thing yeah because i was feeling strangely homesick at that time anyway and that is the most i think even more than sort of the big ones like early falls and horses and keeping up appearances that captures 
a certain Britishness that only a, another British person can see on screen and go, that's us. That is what that show does better than any other British sitcom. It spoke to me and the way we speak as a family and the way I know other families talk. It just felt like someone had videoed the living room and I, I couldn't believe that it was on. I couldn't believe how simple it was, how perfect it was, how funny it was, how conversational it was. It really so blew my you, mind. No one had sort of mentioned this to you before 2000 because I think where it exploded over here was the Christmas special in 99. Again, I've done a bit of research here. Obviously, we know it started on BBC Two on the 14th of September. The first episode was watched by 3.83 million. I believe it was the seventh most watched show on BBC Two uh, that week. But by the end of the series, 4.86 million had watched. So very much a word of mouth hit, I believe. Everything must have been a word of mouth hit. Then there was no other way for things to be a hit, was there? And I suppose, like, as we said, people talking about it on other TV shows, other radio... You you know, you talk about radio. A lot of, like, radio hosts at the time would be talking about things like the Royal Family. I remember... It was either Chris Moyles or Chris Evans, one of the Chris's. <laughs> Vivid memory of them talking about the Millionaire episode. Yeah. Um, it may have been Chris Tarrant, too. mayn't it? That would have been more sense <laughs> for him. To be I think it was Chris Moyles when he did the early breakfast show on yeah. Radio 1 before whoever was doing the breakfast show at the time. I'm Zoe guessing Ball. Zoe Ball. Yeah. Also, it's weird that we were living in 2023 and we still have Chris Moyles on breakfast and Zoe Ball on breakfast, just in very different places. And yeah. things never changed. And Chris Evans? Yes. he's back. <laughs> he, he was at Virgin at the time, I think, and he's in Virgin now. Yeah. I certainly remember watching the first series and not a lot of other people watching it. Again, I don't know if it was something that my parents were watching. Obviously, sort of being a northern family, it was... Did although, you try you know, and sue? You've got um, my likeness. I mean, to be fair, as I always say, I'm a North Midlander rather than a proper yes. Northern Northern Earth. Obviously, there's been a little bit more coverage of it this week or so because of the 25th anniversary. Yeah. Gold have put on their documentary that they did back in 2010 and have added a lot of talking heads for no apparent reason Which to it. Which adds nothing because that original no. documentary is perfect. I love it so yeah. much. I don't know if you're aware of uh, Josh Widdicombe's book that he's written recently about growing up watching TV in the 90s. Have you, are you I'm aware, aware of this? I'm aware that that's a book, yes. Yeah. I haven't so I, re- I, I read that recently and then I watched the documentary again and, you know, you get the thing that this was very much a negotiating chip, wasn't it? Carolina yeah. Hearn was... I, I won't make any... I don't know if it was Mrs. Merton or the Mrs. Merton sitcom that she wouldn't no, make. No, it, it was the Mrs. Merton show, as in the chat show. show. And you've got on that documentary Craig Cash hearing the suggestion about him, her wanting to make this, which is just a family watching TV and thinking, Mrs. Merton's the first gig I've got where I'm not claiming benefit. you're going to screw it up. And my, and my wife wants a new kitchen... And actually, there's the story. I don't know if you've seen the the Guardian thing, the oral history that they've done. Have you read that? Yes. I knew this story as well, that they'd done initially like a multicam with a studio audience, which I would love to see. Oh, God, yes. Let me see that, please, anyone who's listening that might have access to their own time machine to find that (laughs) for me. The producer, Glenn Wilhide, 
has said that they'd seen the pilot. It was untransmittable. It was filmed like a sitcom, bright furniture, multicam video, and a laughter track. They then brought in this guy, Glenn, as a producer. One of the camera operators, Jeremy Hiles, was talking about the idea they had was to do it handheld, the camera effectively sitting in the corner, literally recording what it saw. And Mm. the point was that it did look a bit grubby, unconsidered, and real. I remember Victoria Wood talking about, because Dinner Ladies airs a few weeks later, and she'd obviously done all this, recorded this, and then watched The Royal Family and went, oh, yeah. God, you know, this is where... My, mine's at, this is where now. comedy is. Mine's yeah. immediately out of date before it started. Mm. It is very different. And I think it's fair to say that we don't give The Royal Family credit for how different it was. And I don't know whether you were... A, were you initially aware what you were watching when you were watching it? Because it must be... It must be I always imagine somebody I don't know, turning it on the first night. A bit like when they say... A lot of people who first watched The Office assumed it was a, a documentary and then mm. realised what they were watching. This was almost like Alan Bennett drama. Um, come documentary, come well, comedy. Well, again, I obviously had some awareness over what this was. And, you know, we knew we were watching a sitcom. You know, at the end of the day, it was funny. You know, it was one of those where you could sort of see yourselves in the characters. I've just been watching it today, the first mm. series. You know, you've got the thing with Nana, you know, and her, you know, repeating herself or Barbara yeah. repeating herself, telling the stories about inane things that were going on in the bakery. Yeah, that's, and, how, that's what life is. Yeah, her telling this story once, them not listening, her repeating it, and then them saying, well, what, what, what's yeah. the point of that? Why are um, you telling us? What have we got to learn from but that? But then what they put, like that gag about not being able to smoke, you know, the guy who went for a job at the petrol station and they told him he had to be a non-smoker. Yeah. It came out of the box fully formed. Apart from this one thing that happens in the first episode of the first series, which I don't believe, and you're going to tell me I'm wrong having watched it more recently, but I don't believe it happens again and certainly never happens again once they decide on the characters. But Denise gets up and makes a cup of tea in that first episode which mm. he's never done as they decided to lean into her laziness and Anthony but did everything. They do the same with Jim, though. He washes yeah. the pots in the third episode. Yes, exactly. I, I think as they went on, and we've had this conversation before, the characters become more streamlined. You mm. know, for example, Dave becomes a lot thicker, and he's not thick in this first season. No, at all. no he's, just... he's just your average bloke, yeah. isn't he? That goes yeah, yeah. round to his, to his in-law's yeah, and I don't think, for example, Dave from Series 3 would have printed off all those business cards or come up with the, you know, you've heard the rest, now hear the best, Dave, best yeah. mobile disco. Yeah. It almost became BBC One in a way, as we often yeah. say when things yeah. move. They lose that subtlety. You know, Jim washing the pot. He basically went to wash the pot so he didn't have to watch them try on Denise's wedding dress in episode three. And and that's when he has that great heart-to-heart about his grandparents with Anthony, which I always enjoy. About his granddad, isn't it? His it's granddad. about his maternal granddad. Yeah. As well, um, watch, they did a documentary. I don't know if you remember this. We Love the this. Royal Family, yes. watched it, loved it. JK Rowling, Peter Kay. Yeah, I watched that recently, and there is a bit on there with Jimmy McGovern saying how much yes. he loved that scene. Yeah. With the pots where Jim says, leave that for your mother, because he said that was something that he, and like, you know, Noel Gallagher talking about 
yeah. how they want. And actually listening to Half the World Away and just you get taken back, I think, to the 90s hearing that song and watching that opening sequence, I think. And actually, because Half the World Away was a B-side to yeah. whatever. And I was like, I've never heard this song. And I don't know how I actually found out. I must have looked it up at school. That's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> I went to buy the CD single of whatever. And this was a time in HMV where you could buy a CD Older single ones. of something that come out four years prior. Woke up this day a real time machine. Um, yeah, I so, love that song. Just so still. I owned that song. I remember having a conversation actually about that song with someone at school, and they're saying, "Yeah, you know, I bought that at the time. I was really into Oasis from the start because you know I knew Oasis. Oddly, for someone who lives sort of this side of the country, we were more blurred than we were oh, Oasis in that traitors, sort of traitors. battle. I didn't own any of the Oasis albums, but yeah, that was one thing that really sort of took me back as well was was listening to that and. As you say, that documentary I rewatched and then just talking about, you know, they had a lot of like northern celebrities as Sean Ryder was on there as well. But Johnny then they had, Vegas. Like, Johnny Vegas. They had like Paul Abbott on there talking about right. how, you know, how it was just revolutionary from a writing standpoint. And obviously, as you say, J.K. Rowling was all over that as well. Yeah, on Daily quite... Motion, if you want to watch it, gang. I loved it. Or you could just borrow the hard drive I've got it on. Okay, These so... are options to go around to Luke's house and borrow his hard yeah. drive. No, I'll copy it. You're not taking the whole thing. Um... <laughs> Anything I'll else on the Royal Google Family? The... Just how brilliant it is, really. Yeah. Just how much I love it I think... and how special it is still. Yeah, how meticulously the, the camera work is, as I said, you know, like focusing in on those little things so someone's talking but you so in that first episode you've got Denise painting her nails not really listening to Jim complaining about the phone bill you've also got this thing where a lot of the characters are off screen all the time and this is another yeah. thing they talk about in that documentary you know you hear as we said Duckers, Beverly Macker, Sandra Bezik. There's a bloke who sits under the dartboard. Is that in that yeah, series? That's yeah, that's episode two. But they do talk Frank. about that in the documentary because they, you know, they talk about it and then Denise says about just seeing him at the bus stop or sleeping yeah. in the bus stop, doesn't? And that sort of and changes how, yeah. the tone of that scene. I can't sing its praises anymore. I just... No. One more sort of anecdote from me that I just another memory. I've just got this memory of yeah. I want to say it was like an all day tennis tournament or something like that. That and it seems was, like where I might have met you. But it was in someone's house that we sort of knew. You know, me being me, find the front room, find the TV. There was someone else I knew from school who was also there. And the royal family was just on in the middle of the day. How now I don't know. Weird. I think it must have been like on an early digital channel, perhaps like a UK Gold 2, UK Play. They were airing it like as a box set, back to back. I've just got this memory of this. And so it must have been mid-99, I want to say, before wow. the second series was on. And he'd never seen it. And I just remember watching it with someone who'd not seen it and wasn't aware of it at all. And then completely getting into it and us just both laughing at it together. And obviously oh, you do spot things so that you cool. haven't seen it the first time round. That, to me, is like, the big memory of the royal family until the Christmas episode where she has the baby because it aired on Christmas Day and as you say everyone watches on Christmas Day Regardless. even though it wasn't a, a massive show you know it wasn't an Only Fools and Horses say but it it was the show that would, had been on BBC Two the first year and then 
got more popular because it was on, on one and then got the Christmas slot and just became this phenomenon. But at the same time, it did lose a little bit of its subtlety, I think, in that final series and the post-Queen of Sheba episodes. But yeah, I think oh, this, definitely. this first series still holds, as you say. Is that one of your new catchphrases, comes out of the box fully formed? Yeah, well, because so, <laughs> so few shows do. Even in the streaming era, you hear people go, give it till series two mm. or even series three, and then it gets really good. This comes out and cough, it's cough, the Shits Creek cough, cough. Yeah. The Royal Family is what it is, and it introduces you to Cheryl quickly, and she's the same person, and and woman from next door who's managed to... Mary, Mary, Joe, Twiggy. Joe's not in it, but Twiggy's in it. He's the one that brings the jeans. Is Mary uh, in the first episode? She is, yeah, because they talk about her being the phone the phone bill. But also I think those are endlessly rewatchable. Mm. Like, I understand why you watched the majority of the series again, it wasn't the homework, but it's just so but, easy to do. Yeah, it's the royal family. It's brilliant. Everyone's watched it, probably. Who's going to watch it? Um, do you feel it's dated in any way? Apart no, from and I think the nerves, reason for that, I, I think like the reason for that. I was thinking about this actually. Is because the way they filmed it, because they, yeah. they filmed it so low res. The other two shows we're going to talk about look dated because I think the way that they were filmed. Mm. There's a lot more exteriors. And, and incidental music. Incidental and... music. The only thing that dates it, I suppose, is the TV where they're watching the references they make. But when you've got just a house, you're pointing a camera in, and you've got characters who could very much exist today. Yeah. Like, I don't think The Office is very dated all that no. much, the, in no. terms of the, the style of it anyway, as you know. The attitudes do, certainly have changed somewhat, I think. Um, Probably not uh, enough. Probably but, not as enough as you... But again, like the royal family, you know, as Barbara says, she doesn't care if someone's straight, gay or Australian, yeah. so... To bring it back to Chris Evans, there's a great Chris Evans joke in that first episode as well. Oh, look, Jim again. He's everywhere. He was like shit in the field. Leave it on, Dad. I'm not going to follow himself. He's a millionaire, Ian. Ah, and he's still got ginger bollocks. Oh, that reminds me, I've got some tangerines in the kitchen. Anybody want a tangerine? How does your mind work, Barbara? Right, so should we go on to the other British show that we were going to discuss? Please! This is Linda LaPlante's Supply and Demands. There was initially a 1997 pilot episode. This is Tuesday the... the Tuesday the 1st of September. I've got 1st of September. And this was a six-part drama... Uh, ran for just the one series, and that and I can see why because the, the ratings well, just continue to drop. Well, no, actually, actually the, well, the ratings it went from eight point eight nine million. The second episode was yeah. so seven point one three, but it's actually Linda Laplante's decision rather than ITV's. She said that it sort of come to its natural conclusion. She didn't think she could do any more with the characters. It's set around the world of like. Customs and excise, things coming into the country. Is that sort of what you yes. think this, this yes. team... So, but and, it wasn't and, clear to me initially. If no. I didn't know that, it wasn't clear. But it's about sort of people running sort of drugs and weapons and, you know, dodgy items from one country into another. They've got under, undercover agents working for them. Only three of the characters carry across. I did watch a little bit of the pilot, but it's the... Um, God, you're a troop. You're a real trooper for It's your the, the Amon Walker character. 
Benedict one character and the other black actor is yeah. I can't remember his name. He's not as famous as the other two. No. That's why I don't know his name. Interestingly, the the pilot episode, the main sort of gangster in it, is played by Freddie Star. <laughs> I don't know. Do we need to run through the plot a little bit more? Well, or go on. Basically, I'll just read what it says on Wikipedia because if okay. I'm 100 honest, the plot was a bit confusing to me. Basically, this team are asked to provide backup for DS Barbara Hall, who's been undercover for six months and believed to be acting as a drug mule. Drug mule. mule. Drug mule? It's a big super, a big shopping centre where you can buy drugs for. And the drugs importer is thought to be negotiating a shipment of masses of cocaine into Britain. When Hall fails to make contact at her arrival at the London airport, the team becomes suspicious and uh, she's eventually found dead. Now, basically, this team, this time in this in the series that I watched, they're led by Larry Lamb's detective Simon Hughes, whose boss is Chief Superintendent Edna Cooley, played by Miriam Margulies. Uh, Martin Kemp is in this. And then Benedict Wong, as, as Matt mentioned, and Eamon Walker, who had just come off of HBO's first drama in Oz. And I'd seen a bit of Oz and couldn't quite believe he was in this sort of bog-standard ITV thing. The title sequence alone needs a lot of discussion yeah. because it's the most bizarre so amateurish sort of thing like, I've ever seen. So it's like split screen. Each side has got one of them sort of in the field and one of them sort of more relaxed. Yes, yeah. But because Miriam Margulies isn't in the field, she's purely in the office, her sort of action shot is her getting into a swimming pool. Yeah, which is more action than I needed first thing in the morning. <laughs> That this must have felt dated even then, just based off that title sequence. It felt like they were trying to imitate like the Sweeney or something like that. That was old then. Like the well, 70s I mean, like and... Cold, Cold Feet was this year. It was a couple of weeks later. I know. Than it's TV. mad and to that, think that. Basically, the big tent scene at the start is Amon Walker's character is late for work. Yeah. If this had been on now, it would have started with them... Finding Barbara Hall's body, probably, yes. and then flashing back, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, and then we would have moaned about that as well, so it had nowhere to go, <laughs> did it? But the thing the thing is, though, that you said that you wanted to talk about Miriam Mangala's yeah. performance, and as it went on, I understood why. But initially, the closest I could get to what she was doing was like a Jackson Lamb out of Slow Horses. The vibe I was getting, but it got more and more ridiculous and ludicrous as it went on with her sort of maybe double-crossing the team and maybe she was part of the reason that this woman was dead and she made some really, let's say, interesting character choices. She has a little dog with her at work. She's always having biscuits. And now as Luke sort of dancing around it, the team is very multicultural, as we I've said. I've never it. danced around anything, I'll a- have you a- know. Eamon Walker and Benedict Wong, uh, Martin Kemp, so she calls this team her Benetton boys. Oh, God. Oh, they do point out the the racism in it, and I think that's part of her character, is that she is yeah. very blunt. I mean, they do at some point call her the Diesel Dyke as well. It goes both ways, the yeah. misogyny and, and everything. And she is very much the 90s stereotype of the woman in the man's world. Yeah. Obviously, you know, Linda LaPlante uh, created Jane Tennyson. The, well. the thing is as well I think if we were doing this earlier then we would have watched a prime suspect and I would argue that those are still relevant they're still gritty they're, mm. still, they're still of a time but they, they still feel relevant they still feel of now 
It's still feeling like a really well-researched, well-put-together, well-acted police drama. And this felt like a relic. And I, I, I then started to think, is it poor acting? Is it poor script? Is it a combination of, of the both? Yeah, this very much is lost to time, isn't it? Where was this? YouTube? I can't remember where we saw Freevy. it. Oh, of course it was! <laughs> Amazon freebie, Luke. Yeah, so they were paying to put ads in this. Somebody was um, <laughs> somebody was putting ads in this. Yeah, so I sort of skimmed through the second episode because there was you said that it was like Miriam Margulies who was dodgy, but there was the insinuation oh, that God, that Larry Lamb was the dodgy one because he had had a relationship with Barbara. He had his reaction to her dead body was like I've never seen anything like that on television. Um, in fact, his whole character was was like a load of cliches. He threatened to shut someone's yap, his briefcase down somebody's throat. Like all the exposition about who the people were was really and the, clumsily I know, done. I know you've mentioned the music as well, but I say I said it starts with weird sex jazz music. The first time you sort of meet Barbara as she gets off the plane, they yeah. play uh, "Here's a Sexy Lady." music and the cat the way the camera follows her and it's all very they're also obsessed with how quote-unquote beautiful Mm. she is as well aren't they it's a bizarre artifact isn't it i mean almost nine million people tuned in to see this i think it had a steady sort of six and a half million throughout its run which isn't great for the time it was in in the corrie and eastenders were the big biggest watch stuff at the time the soaps were massive back then. For a prime time 9pm drama, this, I think, may be underperformed by the end of it, but it was a decision by the writer rather than the channel. I, I think it's interesting to go back to this time because it was you're sort of on the precipice between what's coming and what's still around, what's still lingering. Around. You know, we're getting to a point now where drama is turning a corner it almost feels like they are commenting that the practices of this team are very archaic. The younger characters there are saying, you know, why are we still doing things like this? And, you know, these are like the ways they used to operate decades before, but they still go along with it. That sort of commentary on the old versus the new, the old seem to be winning by the end. So weirdly, that was on Freevee, and the next show arguably had a bigger cultural footprint and impact, and isn't actually available anywhere to stream. Alim Bill. It wasn't available in the US on DVD for the longest time because of the music rights. Yeah. Vonda Shepard holding out. <laughs> Barry White, Elton John, Sting all appear, actually physically no, appearing on the show. It's probably Vonda Shepard holding out. <laughs> Um, She's very awkward, Vonda Shepherd. Does we don't hear from her anymore. Just, it seems like you just like saying the name. Vonda I do Shepherd. like. You don't hear enough of Vonda Shepherd. We were talking again on this, what we were doing on this, and we were coming up with some options. Mm. And Luke was sort of saying, "Is there anything we can look at from Channel Four? Can we look at any sort of American shows that were airing at the time?" So I did a bit of digging again, and I went on the Bob oh, website God. and found that. Ali McBeal was airing on Channel 4 at the time. Now, they must have started airing season one in the May of 98. But again, I remember watching this, and I think I watched repeats ahead of season two. Because I did buy a lot of magazines, and I think they would have talked about it in some maybe some of the magazines that I bought. 
the fantasy sequences were quite like talked about and the music that they used yeah. when we talked about it you said you hadn't seen a single second no, of this which i seen. which i did know as well i knew it was a legal drama i knew it was somewhat quirky but i don't know when i saw the images of the, the dancing baby which I don't know what series that would have been, but I, I, that's it's what later I in series one. So that was something I was aware of, and I was aware of it being a thing, but that's about all I was aware of. And I have spent the majority of the last ten years being back in the UK, going, I probably got the majority of American stuff wrong. I was too harsh on it. I was too set in my ways, and a lot of stuff that I like now. I would have dismissed. So maybe going back to this, I'd find something else that I dismissed early, just out of preconceptions and no other reason and never went back to. And this is a David E. Kelly thing. He's still very much part of the TV conversation, very much still part of the TV landscape. You just did Love and Death on our main podcast, so he's still very active. I remember going to the States and the practice being big and the buzz around Danny McBeal, even though I wasn't aware of how good or bad the show was, it felt as if the buzz around Ali McBeal had already I think died off. Ali McBeal was a cultural phenomenon for like two years and then yeah. everyone's decided to stop watching it at the yeah. same time. I felt like I decided in my mind and in my mind only that Ali McBeal must be some kind of Erin Brockovich type figure that is a champion of women and stands up for everything. And what I got, I watched... The pilot and the second ep or the first episode, the pilot and the first episode of the series. And I was surprised by how much of a drip Annie Beal is. I was always on the side of the woman from uh, Mero's Place or whatever she was from, who was the current wife of uh, Ellie McBeal's lover. So jo- I, Georgia, played by Courtney yeah, Thorne Smith. Courtney- Do you know no, who I was originally thinking- cast? No, go on. The sort of the unaired pilot, which they filmed and shot. It was Anna Gunn playing that role. Oh, wow. Okay, I would have liked to have seen that one. But I was just surprised by how basic she was as a character, Mm. how whiny she was. I I just made up this completely as a no fabricated, but made up that this she was like this champion for women's rights and women's law and, and fighting the boys' club at the law firm. I thought that must be why it's got this massive female fan base but actually Ali McBeal was the least interesting part of any of it I, the law the law stuff when it kicked in was was well done but it did have all the things that I dislike about an American network comedy drama whatever mm. you want to call it it had continual incidental music they spoke Gilmore Girls type fast because they've got to get the ads in but they've got to get all the exposition and all the important bits in nobody felt particularly real or, or well realised the music got on my nerves. The fact that Vonda Shepard appears in the episodes was something I don't think I was aware of, and that irritated me. The token black friend was obviously there for that reason and niggled at me a bit. But I couldn't get past how frustrating I thought this character was and the fact that she was often... We heard her internal thoughts, which is another niggle of mine. I, People I show think doing that... I think they get rid of the voiceover as it goes on. I think the voiceover is something that they lose. Yeah. I think that Ali McBeal was very much 
a Bridget Jones type. I think that's what they're sort of going for. Yeah. So I think they were very comparable characters. And actually, the character had got a lot of critique for being... Do you know someone on your holiday gift list that's looking to cut costs? Consider a Henson Razor. Henson Razors use quality standard blades that only cost 10 cents each. That means you'll only be spending pennies a month on blades. Compare that to multi-blade cartridges that cost 20 to 30 times more. Over a couple years, that special someone on your list will save hundreds and get a safe and smooth shaving experience along the way. To learn more and to get 100 blades for free, go to HensonShaving.com holiday. Hey, can I tell you a secret? The secret to getting a great shave without any nicks, cuts, or irritation isn't three or four blades, a soap strip, or a swivel head. It's just supporting the blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just supporting the blade. Don't let it flex or bend. That's the secret to limiting shaving irritation. At Henson Shaving, we use our 20 years of aerospace manufacturing to keep the blade from moving. It's not the coolest answer, but it's the right one. To learn more and to get 100 blades for free, go to hensonshaving.com holiday quite reliant on men the dancing baby is a metaphor for her biological clock that's what the dancing baby is you know she's only got so long to become a mother the quirky nature of it stays throughout this quote that i found in the oral history which is uh calista flockhart talking about it she says usually in a play series or movie central character is often the same person and that's the touch point for the audience so when you make the central character goofy and off the wall and just as eccentric as everyone else, it's risky because the audience doesn't have that person to hold on to. I thought it was terrific. Obviously, Luke thought the exact opposite. I didn't think she was goofy and off the wall at all, though. I think she becomes goofier. She she fell down a lot <laughs> as it went on. Oh, OK. Well, that's that's goofy then. Did she yeah. fall off a wall? Um, she trips up a lot. She trips over us. I mean, I do that, to be fair. Yeah, yeah so do I, I'm but I've got, medi- I've got medical certificate the <laughs> same as you. But the thing is... <laughs> The thing is, though, that I just didn't find her interesting. I thought mm. she spent the majority of her time whinging about a man who that she'd supposedly moved on from and who'd got a new life, and she resented that. And I was just thinking, this is a terrible example of, of a woman mm. on screen. And really? I think there was a lot of criticism because of that. But at the same time, I think it was quite open about maybe her sexuality you know, they talked about sex quite freely and I think maybe it was very... I think as well, having a female character at the helm was almost revolutionary in itself, I think. Well, that's that's a sad indictment. I think that's that's part of it, though, Luke, is it was her show. You know, you've used it several times. I don't think this come out of the box fully formed. I think what they hold on... That's a good phrase. I like that. What they hold on to is the little quirks you know, there's the scene of her imagining her and Billy having sex in a coffee cup. Yeah. You know, Elaine, Jane Krakowski's character's head gradually getting bigger, you know, getting swallowed up by things. Yeah. I mean, that that sort of stays. I think the voiceover goes. I think they give her more agency. I think that's the word you're looking for, that she doesn't yeah. have a lot of agency, the character. Yeah. I think they do give her more agency as it goes on. I think, as you said, like the Renee character, she, again, I think is probably the, the, the biggest proxy for the audience because um, but she's, she's just there separate. for Ali to moan about things yeah. too, isn't she? Yeah, she's she's separate from the... she. You know, she works as a lawyer as well, but she's separate to the rest of the cast. She works at a different legal firm. You do often get her as the other attorney in the courthouse. She'll often be 
representing someone where they're there as well. But her character is a little bit off to the side. She almost presents as it's her and Georgia are the two ones who present as the same ones. But it is you you are right. You know she is led certainly initially by her her relationship with Billy is very much the centre of the show. Were you one of those people that did the mass exodus when other people... No, I watched it all the way through. I watched it all the way through, as I say. You know, if I was watching TV critically like I do now, I probably would have a similar sense. But, you know, I was watching it at 14 or 15. I don't think I was target target demographic. I think as well, you know, you could have that argument, and I'm not sure if we're best place to have it you know if we had dawn or sarah or someone on with us to you know a man writing for women yes that was something i, mean, I was gonna bring up he's obviously still like you know big little lies he was the man behind that as well so there's still but i get a feeling that like those big little lies reese witherspoon was mm. exec producer nicole kidman was exec producer mm. you know they have a lot of say being i think the Callista, as it went on she became but also, more uh, I think I've never really... I mean, I've not really seen her in a great deal. She's not done a great deal. I mean, she wasn't really known before this. She had been in The Birdcage, the Robin Williams film, but that was about it. After this, it's mainly brothers and sisters, and then she sort of, you know, of her own doing, decides to sort of just almost go into... What's the word I'm looking for? Just like retirement. Semi-retirement, wants a quiet life married to harrison ford so you're all right for money really aren't you but she is apparently coming back on the new series of feuds that that's coming next year so ryan murphy's obviously tempted her um i just don't in in this and the bits mm. of brother and sisters i saw i just don't find her that interesting in the screen presence either and it is interesting that of course since i've been back and i've been writing the wrongs of the american shows you should have given more time to Ali McBeal hadn't really thought about since the 90s and then it's, you mentioned it and yeah. I was like, oh yeah, I've never seen any of that. But it's not stuck around in the public consciousness. No, no, I was going to say else. the same thing. One of the reasons I wanted you to watch the second one as well is that they yeah. introduced uh, John Cage in the second yes. episode. He very much becomes the moral centre and I think it's his friendship with Ali that becomes the centre. You can sort of see that last scene that they have together in that episode where he says, you know, they call me the biscuit and she said they used to call me the popsicle. They have like this bond. He is the good attorney at the the firm and he has all these quirks like he has a flusher for the toilet. Obviously, the unisex toilet gets introduced early on. That's a big part of it as well. Searching my soul again, I did have a similar reaction to when I heard Half the World Away. It sort of Mm. brings me back to that time. For me, it was the John Page character more than the Ali McBeal character that I sort of felt for, empathised with. It does find its feet, maybe in Series 2, Portia de Rossi and Lucy Liu both come into it as new characters in Series 2, so it gets a little bit more energy there as well. Come The wheels come off a little bit, and again, maybe it would be interesting to get a female voice here for this one. Because watching it as as men, we can only sort of say so much about how much it resonates. You know, obviously we're saying sort of like the bits look dated. 
one thing I wanted to end on as well, and I don't know if you've seen this, is that they're looking to bring it back. Have you seen no, this? No, I've not seen that. Who's so, allowing that? You know, because we've had this, like, wave of things, and it's been going for years of, we're going to bring this back, we're going to bring this back, obviously. And mostly they have. The Frasier full trailer has just dropped this week, and we'll have a conversation about that maybe when we finish recording this. Like, for example, I remember them saying that The Office is coming back. Is that still yeah, happening? They, no, I don't think that's happening. They even I, said ER at ER, one point. ER, I was just going to mention that. So the plan for the new Alan McBeal series is that it's going to be set in the same law firm. They're going to be using the same set. It feels very much like a How I Met Your Father type yeah. situation. And the main character is a female black lawyer, rumoured to be the daughter of Renee, and they are trying to tempt Callista Flockhart to be part of it. So whether they will call it Ali McBeal, mm, the showrunner is allegedly the showrunner who the female showrunner of the Mike Tyson thing that was on last year. All right, okay. Mike, and David E. Kelly apparently has given his blessing, but he's not going to be involved. The positive there is that they're going to have a female showrunner on this one. If it does happen, you know, the fact that all these little sort of details have come out. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Why can't you just make that show? Why do you have to? Put it into Connect. like because as I say, I don't believe or I don't feel as if it's still in the public consciousness. Mm -hmm. There's going to be some people who go, "Oh, yeah, I be," but I don't feel like it. You know, people still talk about the royal family from mm. that time. The Sopranos was six months away, and that's still talked about with its friends. Influence. You know, the generation after us have discovered Friends via Netflix. And, and it's problematic parts, but they don't mind it. They no, still watch and it. And I think The Office, the office. Has, is, you know... Both versions. Yeah, mainly the US I'm talking about here yeah. rather than the UK version. Yeah. I think another generation have discovered this and, like, streaming services have fought for those shows, haven't they? Yeah. So and Because still... they know the audience. Whereas, like, Ali McBeal can be sort of bounced around and nobody really minds... Mm. I was disappointed because obviously mm. I've liked some of David E. I Kelly's think stuff. If you watched like I don't know a season two or season three episode, yeah, the I'm not good with overly quirky yeah, for quirky sake. I thought you would lose it on the quirky stuff, but actually I was sort of taken aback myself how dated it looks and how sort of the characters didn't feel as fully formed as you say. Like Renee's hardly in these episodes. George is hardly in these episodes. John Cage, you only meet in the second episode. You yeah. get a lot of Richard who's not... They haven't sort of smoothed his edges. He's quite a harsh character. The weird thing about, like, Vonda Shepard being in it 
and from mm. season two being a credited cast member as well. Yeah. Um, the music is a big part of it, though. Like, Renee and, and Elaine both sing quite regularly as well in it, you know. And One of the reasons a... I was aware of it, it's just dawned on me, is I think they used to release the music from it, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. In the same way they would go on to do Teachers mm. in later years and uh, stuff. Um, and obviously yeah. you knew of it because it would chart it from the Shepherd. From the Shepherd, that's how I know her. Um, and that's how you know your music. So are we drawing the line under Ali McBeal now? Yes, please do. And I'm just trying to get something to load so we can play the game. That oh, I'm the game! Thinking. There was I ready to have a biscuit and t- call it a day and there's a game. <laughs> Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You set this up rather nicely, Luke, saying how into music you were in 1998. So oh, I want you now. to try and guess the top 10 singles charts. This is the first chart from September of 1998. So it was the chart that was announced on the 30th of August in 1998. Listeners, I don't think, again, we've mentioned this on mic. Luke has an almost encyclopedic knowledge of the Now albums, owns every Now album up to Now 100. Yeah. So four of these 10 songs are on Now 41. If that, that helps was my, you. one of my favourites, yes. Put you put sort of context. Now, do you want to go 10 to 1 or 1 to 10? Okay. What would be more exciting for the average listener? I don't know. but um... Number 10, it's not one that's on the now album. It ha- it's a new entry at number 10 by a massively famous, still to this day, American female solo artist. Got big in the 80s, I would say. Also had an acting career. Certainly two of the songs she sung have won Best Song Oscars in the 1990s. But she's never been nominated for an Oscar herself. It's not Whitney. Is it, is it Whitney? No. I'll give you another clue. This might give it well, away. Is yeah. one known for just one name. It's not Cher. No. <laughs> Who's the <Hello>. other one? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. She married around maybe a couple of years after this time a British film director. God. <laughs> and moved to the UK briefly. Let's have a think. She did a James Bond song. It's arguably the worst of all the James Bond songs, and she also features in the film. 
Oh, it's Madonna. Every yes. 98, <laughs> The Power of Goodbye. No, uh, this has got a two-word title and then three other words in brackets. Okay, two-word title. No, I don't. Uh, unless if it's you uh, are, if if you are underwater. And, oh, that's the one I don't know. Yeah, carry on. And you're, you're sort of going under, and what's happening to you? You are drowning. Yeah, drown. Oh, I don't know. I, do, I know the song you're talking about, but I don't know it. I know okay, I don't. Drowned. I don't know this one either. It's drowned world bracket substitute for love. Oh no, no, I don't know that one okay, at all. Okay, so that's. It took us a while to get to Madonna though. So yeah, Christ, I should be <laughs> okay. remote of anything. This one is on now. now Forty one. Yeah. It has been in the um, chart for three weeks. Quite peak on the chart was number five. A conglomerate that never did anything again, as far as I know. It's got a classical intro. It samples a classical tune. It's not that Sweetbox record. It is. Everything's going to be all right, Sweetbox. I don't know what it samples, but it's like a Mozarty, Beethoven type thing, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Do myself slightly from going from Cher and not knowing another. 80s it's, star um, with one the name. Song, Air by, from Bach's Orchestral Suite number three. Right, okay. Uh, I said that, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These next few aren't the aren't on the Now album. Yeah. Number eight, it has been in the charts for uh, three weeks. It is a pop uh, group uh, from Australia. There were certainly like two lead singers in it, like guys. It was uh, It was all guys. Have you got any guesses at all? No, no, no guesses at all. Um, yeah. This is what an astronaut does. Yeah, specifically. So it, it goes up in the spaceship. No, onto... no, yeah. So what did you just say before? In, you said flies, in there, flies into space. No, no. But specifically, <laughs> you just not... said it. What did you specifically say then? <laughs> Goes into space. Yeah. <laughs> it feels so thick. And then what do they do once they've been to the moon? Come back again. Oh, Savage yeah. Garden to the moon and back. There we go. <laughs> two guys in Savage Garden. Yeah, it's only two blokes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I feel um, sick. <laughs> three weeks in the charts. Oh, no, two weeks in the charts. Peaked at number three. Okay. Um... This is a group of four siblings. The cause? Yeah. Okay, it is either Dreams or So Young. It's neither of those. Okay, that's interesting. In 98, oh, it could be What Can I Do? It is What Can I Do. What Can I Do, okay. There we go. So sick, okay. (laughs) Number six is a new entry. Dance act, lead singer... Passed away recently in his sleep. Uh, Faithless. Yeah. Well, did we leave that gag in? I hope <laughs> we did. I said, isn't it ironic that the guy from Faithless died in his sleep? Their big hit being Insomnia. I was hilarious. So you now had to explain that. I, I was I quite know. happy to. I know. That's my problem, not yours. Yes. Do you know any of their songs at all? Come with me, but that was a bit late. This has reli- religious connotations. Dear God. <laughs> it's got it's got God in the title. God is a DJ. There we go. Thank you. Girl group, three members. Cleopatra. 
Not Cleopatra, no. Um, they Police. were on... Yes? If it's 98, they only had two records out in 98 that I know of. And it was it's on only... now 41. So finally found? Yeah, there you go. Next one is a dance track. It's uh, three weeks in the chart. It peaks to number two. Samples, I would say, like disco. It's got a astrological theme. The the uh, the act's name. Uh, this was a also the title of a film from two thousand and seven. Take that did the theme song for. Oh, Stardust music sound for better with you. There we go. Number three now. A um, five piece boy band. Right. Really famous. This song peaked at number one. Has been in the charts for four weeks. Boyzone. Yeah. I think this is around the time we're all doing no matter what, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Well done. Now the last two. You haven't sick. got that now forty-one crutch. New entry at number two. Pop act five mm. piece. I believe they de- they debuted in the charts uh, the year before. They are sort of mixed genders. So uh, steps. Yeah, but it's one not five, Sarah, six, seven, eight. That's it. Yeah, well done. And number one, also a new entry. It is a indie group. I want to say this is their only number one, but don't quote me. They're from Wales. Oh, Mannix. Yeah. If you tolerate this, your children will be next. That's it. Well done. Thank you and good night. Was that their only number one? Y- yes. No, they had another one that I've ne- that I never really heard. Masses against Masses the classes. Masses against the classes, which is the 2000. one that they you could only buy that one day or something like that, wasn't oh, it? Oh, was it? Maybe that's what made it number yeah. one then, because everyone yeah. went out and bought it. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you did. You got. You redeemed yourself. I think Ooh. halfway through. <laughs> If we do this game again, we'll have to sort of like look at. It might have to be like highest new entries or something like that. We might have to be just just give me a bit of oxygen before. That was if I'd have had a biscuit and a break, I would have been higher. (laughs) That's that's, I'm low on sugar. That's the problem. Okay. Yeah, I got there. Thank you. But I'm sure the I'm sure the audience enjoyed that. And let us know how quickly you got to Madonna. (laughs) (laughs) No, don't don't let us know. Let Matt know privately, but don't don't let me know. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> this has been fun. Four interesting shows. I think two still very much relevant. The other two products of their time. Yeah. Let's say. And if you want to see that opening sequence to Supply and Demand we talked about, <laughs> it has to be seen to be believed. But you can go on Amazon Freebie, just put Supply and Demand, and it's there. Given the demand, what I would say is we as we come to the end here, please let us know what you think of this. Whether you'd like us. Mm to keep doing this i've got some ideas of shows we could do for the next one for the for the last two weeks of september just give us some feedback on this and i hope you enjoyed it as a sort of palate cleanser uh, but we will be back next week a uh, sort of standard custard tv podcast but i'd like to do another of these i don't know if you feel the same Luke. yeah you know if we make the quiz a bit easier at the end <laughs> Thanks so much, uh, guys, for listening. Luke, have you got any uh, final thoughts, Jerry Springer? Apart from, I liked the opportunity to revisit these things and to coin a new phrase, I think this podcast has come out fully formed, straight out of the box, and we don't need to change anything apart from perhaps the easiness of the quiz. And be good to yourselves and each other. With 
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.